Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing? Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are glad that Jesus changes everything? Amen? That Jesus changes everything. What a remarkable truth we were singing earlier. Uh, Faith family, I want to invite, I, mean, I want to introduce you this morning. I keep saying invite. I don't know why. I've said it like four times here today. But uh, I want to introduce you here this morning to Ken and Katrina Bethay. And they have been a, our, uh, a part of our church for a long time, a part of this faith family for uh, a while. And uh, many of you know them. Uh, they have got uh, such a heart for uh, those girls that, as you saw in the video, God has just really set them apart to, to do something remarkable with their lives. And, and they have, uh, have come to the place where they just are ready to surrender to the calling that Christ has placed on their life to uproot from the place that they've always known as home and to go down to Honduras and to serve there as career missionaries for the extent of their life. And so we have an amazing opportunity to just uh, commission them and to pray over them and send them to Honduras to serve there as missionaries. And I couldn't be more excited. How about you, Cross Point? Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? I have with me up here Darren Roberts, who's been instrumental in just uh, coaching them through this process, and then also Jim uh, Kefauber, who is here from Texas, believe it or not. Uh, his, his home was not affected by all the storms that we have out there, but Jim is with World Indigenous Missions, and so he's here today to, to just come along beside them as well to coach them through the process. We're going to be working with Jim, and so Jim, it's exciting to have you here with us. He's hiding behind them, I don't, and he's come on out, but, uh, but he's a great guy. Just so excited for him to be a part of this team. But this morning, I couldn't think of a better way to start off a series called Salt and Light than to commission a couple of missionaries that are part of our faith family to, to go out and to be a part of serving in Honduras. Uh, many of you have had an opportunity to go to Honduras, uh, to that exact place, to this ministry, uh, such as Kingdom Ministries that we've been serving at for about eight years now. And so it's a wonderful place uh, to go and serve and uh, and I just want to pray for them this morning as we get started and we prepare to dive into God's Word together. So let's pray for them. Let's commission them. Let's send them together. Uh, I want to invite, uh, I think they have a few family members as well or somebody here. If anybody wants to come up here and just lay hands on them, maybe some that have, have been with them on mission trips, uh, just you're welcome to come on up here and, and we'll pray uh, together here this morning. Give them a second to get up here. Some family. I know this is a very emotional time. It's a very special time uh, to think about everything that you've, you've known uh, as just uh, professionals in this community, you know, living your life, uh, just a, the normal life, we might call it, but... Uh, but to, to give their life to missions is such an incredible thing. And so we're just so excited to be sharing this with you. So let's pray, Cross Point, and, uh, and just send them out here this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for this day. And we thank you, God, for your presence in our life. And Lord, how you continue, Lord, day by day, just doing incredible things in our hearts. And God, knowing that, uh, that you are growing us, that you are maturing us as believers uh, Lord, to the point that, uh, God, we even get to a place where we are co-laborers together for the sake of the gospel. And, Lord, I just thank you so much for Ken and Katrina, God, and what you, the, the calling that you have placed on their life. And, Lord, just the 
opportunity that you have set before them to go to Honduras and to impact uh, a lot of little girls' lives there in Honduras. Father, what a, what a special uh, place that is for you to just do work. And God, I pray that as they prepare to go, that God, you would prepare them, that you would give them wisdom and understanding, that you would give them uh, just discernment, God, as they make decisions regarding that ministry. And Father, I pray also that you'd be a God of provision, God, that you would meet their needs, and God, that you would be uh, always going before them, Lord, protecting them and keeping them safe. Lord, we, we just thank you for the privilege of doing missions, not only in the community in which we live, work, and play, but God, also in our Judea, Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. And so, Lord, be with them, go with them. Lord, equip them for the work and the task that is at hand. And we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with them this morning? Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here, for their family being here as well. Uh, I, I can't think of a greater way to kick off a series called Salt and Light uh, by, by just celebrating what God is doing in their life. Uh, they, have, they have recognized this calling for some years now as they've been just kind of processing uh, it's kind of like when we launched this church. We knew the what, uh, and, and that was church planning. They knew the what, and that was missions in Honduras. Uh, you just wait on God's timing to be the right timing, and so you're constantly asking God when, and that has uh, been made clear to them, and so they are going out and, and just such a wonderful thing. This morning, we're going to kick off a series called Salt and Light, and that's a little bit deceiving because the reality is uh, it's only going to be a series called Salt and Light today. And then the next four weeks of this series, we're going to break it up into just looking at the salt, okay? What it means to be salt of the earth. And then the four weeks after that, we'll look at what it means to be the light of the world. And so uh, we're going to be diving into a passage in Matthew 5 this morning as we process what it means for us to be salt and light. But I want to start this morning by asking a couple of questions, a few questions here for us to, to think about, to consider, to reflect on as we prepare to dive into God's Word this morning. I think the message here the, the, from God's Word, the passage that we're going to be looking at, speaks a lot uh, into our life, and it's, it's, it can be uh, one of these passages that we can, we can read through and just sort of skim through, and it, it can be just one of those sort of light and fluffy type of, uh, of passages that we don't really engage in, or we can take the time to really ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach us as we look into this passage. And this morning, I want us to do that. But the questions would be this. The first question would be, who are you as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Who are you as a Christian? What does being a Christian mean to you? The second question might be this. Who are we as a church? Who are we as the body of Christ, as the, as the bride of Christ? Who are we as a local Gathering, who God has brought together for a unique and, and, and uh, very special purpose. Uh, what is the reason that we exist in this community? So who are you as a disciple? And then who are we as the church? And then the third question might be this. What is it that God has called you as an individual and us as a, as a local body to be and to do? To be and to do. And so those are a couple of questions. I just want to kind of throw out there for us to, to chew on as we prepare to dive into God's Word here this morning. I think these are good questions for us to ask, uh, especially as we begin to try to figure out what it means to be salt and light. 
and as authentic followers of Christ, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Uh, we've been set apart to influence the world all for the glory of God. And so we want to take a look at that. We want to examine that uh, in our lives. You know, we live in a world today where there's a lot of people that are hurting. Uh, I know all of us have been watching the news uh, over the last week and a half or so, and, and we look at the images that are, that are be streaming from, from the news uh, sources uh, of what's happening in, in uh, Houston, in Texas, uh, and, and different cities around Houston. And it's just sad. We, we see families, we see entire families who have literally lost everything that they have. And, and we, we know that not only are people hurting, but people are fearful. But we also know that people are, are lost. People don't know Jesus. And, and in fact, they've probably got to a place where they, they've lost hope. And so they're at a place where there is certainly a need for Jesus' disciples to be salt and light, at least in their community, and we know that to not be the only place. We, we know that there are people all around us in our own community and even the ends of the earth, like we've already talked about in Honduras, that are in desperate need of disciples to be salt and light. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 5, uh, this passage that we're looking at, it comes right behind uh, what we have come to know as the Beatitudes of Christ. Uh, it, this is the very beginning or the launching place for Jesus to, to begin to preach uh, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you look in Matthew chapter 5, uh, you'll see the beginning of this sermon. And it goes all the way through chapter 6 and into uh, Matthew 7. And so we have this, this sermon that Jesus was preaching, that he was teaching to his disciples. And, uh, you know, as I look at this and I prepare to read this, I'm just reminded of, of the reality that as, as disciples of Christ Jesus, we must stand firmly on the Word of God, that, that the Word of God is our foundation, uh, it's, 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 it's what defines our identity and, and our, our actions and the things that we are uh, not only called to be but to do. And so we, look, we stand firmly on the Word of God, and, and we also as believers must stand committed on this calling that God has given us to reach those who live in our community in which we live, work, and play, and also our Judea, Samaria, the, those places that are beyond just our own community, and ultimately around the world. We know that because Jesus has commanded us to go, therefore, and be his disciples and, so, uh, and be his witnesses. And so uh, we, we understand all that, but this morning I want us to dive into this text and I want us to, to dive into it and, and take a look, uh, if, if nothing more, to, to basically offer an overview of this whole entire series of what it means to be salt and light. But I want us to dig into it just as briefly, uh, I mean, briefly as we, as we look at it here this morning and try to understand this and try to understand what exactly Jesus is teaching. So read with me, if you will, Matthew 5, verse 13, uh, starting here. And reading through verse 16. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, one of the things I think about as I read this passage is that we must, we must realize what Jesus is saying here as being absolutely important for us to understand. We must understand that what Jesus is saying here is so important for us to understand. Jesus has begun his Sermon on the Mount, okay? And as we dive into this, it's important that we understand really the context of what Jesus is saying. So often we use this passage as sort of the, uh, the, the passage or the text that we would use to describe our actions, what it is that we are called as disciples of Jesus to go and do. What is it that our behavior should look like? And so oftentimes we'll go to this passage and we'll read it and we will come to this conclusion that we are to go out into the community and we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to go out into the community and we are to be the light of the world. And in fact, that is indeed a part of what Jesus is talking about. But as we begin this, this study, as we begin to read through the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of, of chapter 5, those verses that lead from chapter uh, verse 1 to verse 12, uh, we begin to see that Je that's not solely Jesus' intent as he gets to this text and begins to teach his disciples something very important. You see, what Jesus is going to focus on before he gets to a place where he begins to teach us what it is that we should do, he begins to focus on our identity in Christ Jesus. So what he is really wanting to teach us, what, is he, what he is wanting to teach us in this moment as we look at this text is not so much what we are called to do, but who we are to be. And so he's focusing on identity, and next week we'll dive even deeper looking at another text along with the Beatitudes. But here we see this passage, and Jesus starts off with these two truths. And it's so important that we see this now. Look at this with me. He says this. He says, we are, as disciples of Christ Jesus, we are the salt of the earth. Did you catch that? He says, we are the salt of the earth. He's not saying we shall go out and be the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He, he's establishing, he's implying to us that as believers in Christ Jesus, we already are salt. So there's a message there that he's trying to teach, but he's also saying, you are the light of the world. And so he's implying that we, as disciples of Christ Jesus, are already the light of the world. And so this is more about identity that he is diving into rather than the action steps that we should have as believers in Christ Jesus. Now, he will get to that. In fact, in verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he's going to get to the action steps. He's going to get to that place where he tells us uh, that, uh, you know, what it is we are to do. But right now, he's wanting to focus on our identity in Christ Jesus. This is what I believe that Jesus is trying to teach us. He is saying to us that the world is decaying and that we as disciples are the salt of the earth. 
Salt in those days was used as a, as a preservative, not just as something to enhance flavor, but also as a preservative in a day where there were no refrigerated systems. And so salt was one of these things that was used to preserve. And I believe that Jesus is saying to us, listen, the world is decaying all around us, but you as disciples are the salt that's going to preserve the truth about who I am. He also says you as disciples are the light meaning that you are the ones that are gonna illuminate the light of Christ. I mean, we know that Jesus is ultimately the, the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But here he uses this, this truth to teach us. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so he is really focusing in on identity. You know, I believe the world today is so disillusioned with the church. The world is so critical of the church. People are critical I believe because there's a lot of hypocrisy in the life of the church. I believe that in the, in the life of the church, there's a lot of worldliness. But here's the problem. The real problem is this, is that oftentimes the church doesn't look any different than the world. It doesn't look any different than the world. You can look into the life of the church and oftentimes you can't distinguish any differences between the way the churches live in their life, the way they're, uh, they're, 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 they're living their life out versus how the rest of the world is living their life out. And that's why I think Jesus, before he gets into addressing how we are to behave, before he gives us our marching orders on what it is that we are to do, he begins to first say, listen, who are you as my disciples? Who are you? Where is your identity? Where is it that your identity lies? And so here we begin to see this as we, as we read through it. We start off thinking about these truths here, uh, here this morning. Jesus starts with an identity so that we can know who we are to be before he tells us what it is that we should do. Listen to what Peter says. He says in, uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love that verse. I love it because I think it, it just describes really who we are. It is, it's, a, it's a passage that drills down on identity. Who are you? You're someone who has been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus. How many of you celebrate that with me this morning? Amen? Celebrate that, that truth, that reality, that you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, right? You have been called out of the darkness of this world. You've been called out of your flesh to become something new. We just experienced baptism, which illustrates that perfectly. And so you have been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Christ. And so no longer is your identity in the flesh, no longer is your identity in who you used to be. Your identity is now in Christ Jesus. And so we should look different than the world because Jesus is different than the world. Amen? And so here we begin to see this unfold as we dive into this. You see, the reality is if we don't get a handle on who we are, we will never get it right as to what we are to do. If we don't get a handle on who we are in Christ Jesus, we will never get it right on what it is that we are to do. Leonard Ravenhill uh, once wrote these words. He says, the world out there is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. The world is waiting for a new demonstration from Christianity. I love that. I love that. 
because here he's talking about identity as well. Who are we in Christ Jesus? Who are we? What is it that we are supposed to look like? We're supposed to look like the righteousness of Christ. And so here we begin to see this as Jesus uh, begins to teach this truth. So how do we become salt? How do we, how do we become light? Well, the answer is we can't, not on our own strength. You, know, you see, we can only become salt, and this is the point he's making when he says to his disciples, and he is speaking to his disciples. Now, the multitudes had gathered, okay? The multitudes had gathered, and no doubt Jesus knew that they were listening, but he is sitting down to directly teach into the life of Christ's followers, to these who are following Jesus. And so he sits down, and he begins to teach, and he says, you are the salt, you are the light. How did that come to be? The only way that we can become salt, that we can become light, is through the redemption through Jesus Christ. By his blood, by his power, we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the only way we can become salt and light. We can't do this on our own. And so here Jesus is, is addressing this issue of identity. Galatians 2.20 says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul is writing to them. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, I have died to self. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of you are thankful that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for the atonement of your sins? Amen. Isn't that wonderful to celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ gave himself for you and for me? And so it shouldn't be out of the norm for us to ask ourselves, who are we in Christ Jesus? Who are we? This shouldn't be a question that just comes up every so often. We should constantly be thinking about who we are in Christ Jesus and how that looks radically different than everything else in the world. And so Jesus brings this this point home as we as we dive into this passage this week I was I was thinking about this and and man just praying my hope and my prayer is that that God would just take us as a church and he would do something incredible with us and and that we would understand clearly our identity in Christ Jesus that we would understand what Christ has done for us but then even understanding that it has to begin here this week I was watching a documentary called The Fittest People on Earth. Maybe you've seen this. It's a documentary about uh, the CrossFit Games. As, you, as many of you know, CrossFit is one of these, these, uh, these uh, gyms. I, I don't know a lot about them, as you can tell, but uh, it, it's one of these things where, where uh, you know, people all over the world have sort of bought into this idea of CrossFit, and they have become known as the fittest people on Earth. I, I guess there's a reason why they're so successful. There's, there's a lot of results that are taking place as a result of CrossFit. But in this documentary, they're focusing on the games that take place every year in California. And so athletes from all over the world who have been training all year and who have been watching their diet and they've been exercising and they've been training and they've been preparing for these games, they, they go to these games and, and they participate and at the end of the game, there is, there is one who gets to be crowned the fittest man on earth, and there's one that gets to be crowned the fittest woman on earth. And it's really remarkable. I mean, it's, it's really got me thinking, you know, it's time to start, 
you know, training and exercising because I, I was looking at them really and I was thinking, well, there's nothing really special about them. I mean, that's just exactly who I am, you know. I was, that's not at all what I was thinking. I was thinking, man, I would like to be as fit as they are. I mean, it's just incredible what they're doing. But in all of that, in all of that, I got to thinking, as hard as they have trained and as much effort as they have put into it, and this goal of becoming the fittest person on earth or the, the fittest man on earth, the fittest woman on earth, as, as, as much as that is worth something, it doesn't compare to that which Christ wants to do in our hearts spiritually through redemption. And in that, it doesn't compare to the task that he has called us to as disciples or followers of Christ Jesus to fulfill in this world. We are, as disciples, salt, and we are, as disciples, light, and, and it can only happen when God begins to engage with us and we begin to engage with God and we come to know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When our identity shifts from who we used to be in our old self to, to being more like Jesus. And so here we begin to see this as, as, as Jesus is speaking this, he's, he's really diving in to, to this issue of identity. And so what is it that we learn from this text? What is our identity pointing to? What is it, what is it that Jesus wants to teach us more than anything else? There's about 15 things that I wrote down, but I'm going to give you two, okay, for the sake of time. I've got 14 minutes to make that happen. Okay, so here's, here's the two I want to give you. Here's the first one. As salt, we must not lose our ability to influence. As salt, we must not lose our ability to influence. Look at verse 13 with me, if you will. I love this. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying to us as disciples in Jesus Christ, you are the salt. But look at what else he has to say. He says, but... If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so here he says this. He says to the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But he's, what, he's, what he's in essence saying is, but don't lose your ability to influence the world for my glory. Don't lose your, your ability to to influence the world. Don't lose your ability to preserve the truth of the gospel and the truth of who I am. You know, it, it, it saddens me. It saddens me to think of uh, uh, that, the fact that the church began as a mission to reach lost people. But today, what we see so often in the church is that it's nothing more than a means for entertainment, for making us feel good about ourselves, and prosperity those things rather than thinking about the reality that our identity lies with Jesus Christ that we are no longer who we used to be and that we have been set apart as salt and life to impact the world for who for Jesus for Jesus this is the calling that's placed on our life this is our identity in Christ Jesus we are to live for the glory of God not ourselves that we are to live for the glory of God if there's anyone who should be preserving the truth that Jesus is central 
in our lives. It should be the church. If there's anyone who should be preserving the truth that the, uh, that the mission of Christ should be to take the gospel to the world, it should be the church. But so many cases, the church has lost its saltiness. Disciples all over the world living for themselves rather than for Jesus. And they've lost their, their saltiness. They've lost the ability to influence. Looking again at Leonard Ravenhill, he says this. He said, the church used to be a lifeboat for the perishing, but now she is a cruise ship recruiting the promising. It's a sad reality that exists in our world today. As people live under their own identity rather than the identity of Christ. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are the salt, no one else. If you lose your saltiness, there is no one. Speaking to the church, the universal church, if we lose our saltiness, there's no one to come behind us. Jesus has created the church. He has founded the church. He has instituted the church. He has launched the church on a global mission for his glory. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. But look at this, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the first truth I believe Jesus is trying to teach us here is as salt, we must not lose our ability to influence the second truth is this as light we must join together that our light becomes brighter now i could have chosen a bunch of other things to talk about here in this passage because there's more than just this one truth that jesus is teaching i believe about light but we obviously don't have time but i want to drill down into this one i love what jesus says when he says you are the light of the world think about that for just a moment jesus is saying as disciples in christ jesus you are the light of the world. What a blessing it is to be the light of the world. And as disciples, we understand that. If we, if we understand that Jesus is the light of the world and that through Jesus we are to be like Christ and that we are the light of the world to take and illuminate the truth about who Jesus is to the dark world in which we live in, then what a blessing that is to think about that we have been called to be the light of the world. And it's amazing to consider. It's amazing to think about. But I love what Jesus does here as he starts talking about this truth that we are the light of the world. Look at what he says here in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. And then he says this, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I think one of the greatest things that we can do as followers of Christ is always examine our own hearts. We can always look inward. We can always be asking the question, how can I better follow Jesus? How can I better live for Jesus? I think that's something that really daily we could be asking ourselves. And so here it'd be real easy for us to think about us being the light of world individualistically, to be thinking about us as individuals and, and followers of Christ. And, and no doubt we need to do that. But here Jesus brings in this other truth and he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden 
And so here he is referencing, he is implying, he is speaking of this truth that together we can make a greater impact than we ever could alone. I remember years ago I was on a missions in, in, a, in a country called Slovenia. You may not have heard of it, but it, it's, it's a small country. But we, I was there uh, doing missions with a friend of mine named Randy Bell, who's a missionary there. And he's still, he's still there uh, on the field serving in that community. But in this, on this particular trip, he gathered up three or four of us in a car, and he says, come on, I want to take you somewhere. And that night, we drove out of the city. And we went on this drive, and it was about a 10-minute or so drive. It was, we just kind of going through the countryside, just driving along. And I was wondering, where is he taking us? What is, what is it that we're going to do? And so suddenly, we got to this little picnic area. He kind of pulled in there, middle of the night. We got out of the car, and we're, none of us have a clue what he's wanting us to do and we get out of the car and he points up way off in the distance it had to have been about eight or ten miles away and up there you could see the city lights of the city in which he was from and he says guys i am so thankful that you have come to this city to help us engage in the lives of people to share the gospel the good news of christ jesus but he says i often come to this spot at night and i look up at that hill and i see all the lights burning from our city and he says, as I do that, I'll often sit here and pray, God, I hope that one day there will be as many disciples up there as I do see individual lights. And I remember how encouraging that was for him to invite us into that time of prayer where we could pray for that city from a distance. But one of the things I will always remember is how brightly lit you could see that city. I can only imagine that if just one of those lights was somewhere in the distance, eight or 10 miles, we wouldn't have even noticed it. But because they were all together, it was obvious that there was a city up on a hill. And our prayer that night was that that city would become a city of disciples. How many of you remember when Valdosta won the ESPN award, uh, Title Town USA? How many of you remember that? We celebrate that, don't we? Yeah, Title Town USA. I remember when that award came out, and I thought, man, that's, that's encouraging. You know, Title Town USA. Well, what an amazing award that, that we would receive. I, I wouldn't have even thought anybody knew Valdosta existed, right? But, but the reality is we got that award. I remember thinking, but how much greater would the reward be if Valdosta was known not for its sports, but for the disciples that lived there impacting a world for Jesus? What if we could be a city on a hill? How much greater of an award might that be? rather than just a trophy that says we love sports. That's my prayer. You know, as I look at this church, I think about the impact that we can make if we all were just willing to come together. If we were just willing to come together to combine our resources, to combine our efforts, to do everything that God has called us to do for the sake of His glory. What might it look like? Before we ever look at what it is that we're going to do, though, we must understand who we are. And that's what Jesus is bringing out here. He's, he's pointing to us. I, I love what G. Campbell Morgan once said. He, he said this. He says, Jesus, looking out over the multitudes of his day, saw the corruption and the collapse of life at every point. He saw them wrapped in gloom, sitting in darkness, grasping amidst fogs and mist, and he knew that they needed, above everything else, light. 
where's that light going to come from? It's going to come from the light of the world. It's going to come from his disciples. As Jesus identifies us as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, he says, you are the salt. If you lose your ability to influence, there's no one else. He says, you are the light of the world. You are to illuminate the truth of Christ to those who are perishing. Before Jesus ever moves into the way we are to behave and the things that we are to do, he says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. John 8, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Many of us here this morning, we celebrate life in Christ Jesus. We give testimony of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. But there is a world beyond this place that needs Jesus. And my prayer, my hope, is that we would come together hand in hand and be who Jesus has called us to be. I was recently reading a story of a family in Kansas. If you've ever been through Kansas, you saw what I saw, and that is nothing but wheat, Right? I mean, I, I, you can drive through this whole state and maybe see a tree, okay? But what you see is wheat, lots of it. But I was reading this story about this family who lived in Kansas, and their house was situated in the midst of a vast wheat field. It was mile, for miles and miles and miles, all you could see is wheat. And one day, the mother was outside in her backyard with her, with her children, and as she looked up, she realized that her youngest son was missing. He was just a toddler. And she looked around the yard, and it was obvious that he wasn't standing there. And she began to realize that he must have gone into the wheat field. The only problem was the wheat was taller than he was. And so she couldn't just look out across the field and see her son. So she became frantic, and she began running through the wheat field trying to find her son. Soon she called out to her husband and he came running around the house and he began to search as well. And so, so they just began to frantically look for the son. Where could he have gone? The wheat was so tall and they, they cried out for him and they couldn't find him. Soon a few more neighbors arrived and they began to search as well as everybody kind of went different directions looking for the sun. And soon the sun began to set and it began to grow cold and the night became dark and they couldn't find this little boy. The next morning, the whole community had come out to help. And they all got out there and they began to search. When one volunteer said to everybody else, he says, why don't we join hands and sweep across the wheat till we have covered every square inch? And so all the community joined hands and they began to sweep across this field until finally they found the little boy. The unfortunate and tragic part of this story, though, is the little boy had died because of the cold that night. 
And as the family was summoned to come over to where the little boy lay, the dad came running over, and the words that he cried was, Oh, God, why couldn't we have joined hands sooner? I think about that story, and I think about this reality that we have an opportunity as the church to recognize who we are in Christ that our identity lies with Jesus. And that what Jesus is saying to us in this passage is, you are the salt and you are the light. And then he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. When Jesus says to us that we are are to be a city on a hill. He is pointing to this truth, this reality, to, that together we can make a greater impact than we ever could on our own. The light will shine so much brighter than if we try to do it on our own. Let us be a city on a hill. And so Jesus is teaching these two truths. Never to lose our ability to influence and the reality that joining together will have always a greater impact. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been on the phone with different people in Texas, some friends of mine who are pastors out there, talking to different people about how we can come along beside them and help them in the recovery efforts in Houston. We sent team after team after team to New Orleans when Katrina hit there. And now we have an opportunity to go to another city that's been hit by tragedy. In the same way that you have watched the news like I have, we have seen the images of people who have lost everything they have. Everything they have, they have lost. But the greatest thing so many of them have lost is hope. And we know as Jesus' followers that our hope is in Christ Jesus. And so I pray that we as a church would continue to, to give, that we would continue to provide, that we would continue to even go if it's possible for us to go, to be the salt of the earth and be the light of the world to those who are in desperate need of us to come. I believe that's what Jesus is teaching us here today that we have an opportunity and we are part of an opportunity to be the salt and the light of this world. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. And, you know, as I was thinking about this time where we, we typically close out a service in prayer, I thought, how many of us have really prayed for the victims in Houston and the surrounding towns? How many of us have really gotten on our knees and prayed that God would move in a spectacular way for the victims of Hurricane Harvey. This morning, we have an opportunity to get on our faces before God and to lift up those victims, to think about not only how they lost everything they own, but how so many of them are walking around today in spiritual poverty and how we have an opportunity to come together as a church, to join hands as a church. 
to move beyond the walls of this place into our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. And so as the band comes out here and leads us in song, I want to encourage you, if you feel so led, to come to this altar and let's pray. Let's pray together. Let it begin with prayer as we seek to understand greater our identity in Christ Jesus and what it means for us to be salt and light, that we may know who we are before we ask God what it is that we are to do.